They are more than just names. More than blocks of stone set in rows. More than memories. They are our brothers and sisters. Our parents and our children. Friends, loved ones, and even strangers who believe that we were worth fighting for. That we were worth dying for. They stand for justice, for courage, for heroism and fearlessness in the face of danger. They stand for the brave men and women who selflessly answered the call and gave their very lives for the cause of freedom. Let us never take their sacrifice for granted, but instead, Remember with gratitude those who have served. Today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter. By the grace of God, if we walk upon free soil, if we breathe in the sweetness of liberty, let us give thanks. Let us honor the fallen. And let us never forget. Good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad you guys are here today to celebrate our risen Savior together as we do every first day of the week, uh, that we come together as the family of God to, to really dig into the Word of God, to see practically how He's called us to live life, to sing praises to His name together, to gather around the Lord's table, and we've done that this morning. Thank you for being here uh, to celebrate as a family uh, our risen Savior who gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. But uh, as the video mentioned, uh, this weekend is a weekend set aside by our country to remember those who gave the full measure so that we could be here to worship this morning, so that we could enjoy the freedoms that we have in this life uh, that we call uh, the American way, if you will. Uh, I'm so uh, thankful for those that have family members who have decided to go into the service and uh, for those who decided to give that full measure. And so this morning, we want to lift their families up just as uh, God surrounds them in this Memorial Day weekend, uh, thanking them for their service, their sacrifice, and for all that uh, they've given for us to have our freedom. So let's take a moment to pray uh, and lift them up. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, we come together to celebrate uh, the ultimate Savior, the, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, but God, we also remember those who have given their life so that we could be here this morning, those that have given their life so that we could find freedom uh, in this land that we call home. God, we, thank, we are thankful for the families who uh, are survived. We pray, God, a blessing of the Holy Spirit upon them, that they would find peace on this weekend, uh, and that, God, they know that we are eternally grateful for the sacrifice, the sacrifice that's been given by their family. God, thank you again for Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we offer this prayer. Amen. Uh, we also want to welcome our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us, being a part of Cross Point. Our hope, of course, would be if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our church family right here. To dig into telling the story of Jesus Christ in the way that God has gifted you and, and given you those talents. To help us tell the story of hope that this world desperately needs. The one that says Jesus can indeed make all things new in your life. He can provide the peace, the joy, the happiness that you've been looking for. Uh, and we ask you to dig into telling that story with us right here. Uh, at Cross Point. 
You're going to want to be here next week as we start a brand new series that I think practically is going to help us live out life together. Uh, if you're like me, you've got folks in your life that you've uh, had disputes with, struggles with. And so starting next week, the month of June, we are going to take a look at how do I deal with anger? How do I take care of the resentment that I have in my life towards someone? How do I find the freedom in Christ uh, by following the way he lived life? How does that let me let go of that animosity that it may be hanging on to. So we're going to use Ephesians next week as we launch into June and uh, talk about how that looks like in our life as followers of Christ. So I hope you'll join us next week for that. Uh, today we're going to finish up our series in the book of Ruth and we're going to be in chapter 4 so I hope you've got your Bibles and we'll turn with me. We'll be there in just a few moments. Uh, I know Cale did a great job last week revealing Boaz uh, to you in chapters 2 and 3 uh, but we'll finish up in chapter 4 this morning. Uh, but we'll start out in chapter 1 of the same book, Ruth. All of our texts will be on the screen, too, so you can follow along as well. One thing I know that we've got in common, we've got lots of things I believe in common, but one thing for sure is you've got family like I've got family. Now, there may be moments in life where you think, oh, brother, he's at the family reunion again. I didn't think he was going to show up. There's no telling what he's going to do, what she's going to say. You've got family members like that, right? This is a picture of me and my brother's. Uh, and my mom, of course, uh, Wynn Chris, I'm the oldest and the best looking one in the picture, but anyway. <laughs> there have been moments where, you know, we're growing up as kids, we are just like anybody else. We fought and we fussed and we fought over toys and we tried to date the same girls at times. It was crazy. It was crazy growing up. There was even a moment I remember that my brother with the middle one, uh, he's the one standing beside me, we had a pair of boxing gloves and we got into it one day. My dad threw those boxing gloves out in the backyard and he said, get out there and get after it. So I pushed him and ran as fast as I could to get that right-handed glove because we're both right-handed and that way he didn't have a chance. To say the least, he, he lost that match. But there are moments too where we haven't agreed on everything. We, we've spoken over the phone or in real life and they don't agree with maybe something I've said or done and I feel the same about them, but you know what is cool about family is if I'm in a tough spot, if I'm up against the wall, one phone call to either one of those two guys and they would come running. They've got my back. It's interesting probably like that in your family as well. I mean, I can talk bad about these two guys all I want to, but the minute you start talking about them, I bow up a little bit. Wait a minute. No, no, that's my brothers. You can't, you can't talk like that. You've got family members just like that too. People that will come and take care of you in a moment's notice. People who've got your back when there's some turmoil, some chaos going in, when there's disagreement, when you don't feel like there's anybody there to help you, many times those family members will step forward and help you. Now, Kale introduced that kinsman redeemer idea last week, and I wanted to reaffirm uh, today what really the three broad strokes of that responsibility was if you were found as the kinsman redeemer in the nation of Israel. Three different ways that he might help you out as the kinsman redeemer. Now, you may have gotten into some financial trouble. You may have gotten into debt. You may need to pay a creditor off. And the only way that you can do that is to sell the family farm, to sell a piece or a chunk of that land. And so in order to keep that in the family, what the family, the kinsman redeemer would do, would he would buy that piece of property and pay off your creditor so that the land stayed in the family so that the land didn't go anywhere. You still had that to hand down to your children. Now, you would have to work for that family member until the debt was paid off, but at least the land stayed with your family. It was right there. Same way with, with uh, debt that was so large, maybe selling the farm wouldn't cover it. 
And there are instances and moments where families had to sell their children into slavery or indentured servanthood. And in those moments, it's a very difficult moment, and, and that kinsman redeemer would step forward and he would buy those kids back, he would pay off the creditor, and then your family would work for that family member until the debt was paid off. But that way the family stayed intact, the land stayed with the family. There was inheritance there to pass on down. The third way that the kinsman redeemer might help out is if there is a death in your family. And it may be a homicide, it may be an accidental death, maybe you were on a hunting trip or it was a farming accident and someone was helping you and in the process they lost their life. Well, the kinsman redeemer's job would be to find justice. And so the way the law was written, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And we've talked about before those cities of refuge that existed. There were three on one side of the Jordan River, three on the other side of the Jordan River. And you could run to one of those cities. And as long as you were inside the city, you were safe until the dispute was resolved. But outside the city, the kinsman redeemer could recover the family name, could offer justice an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. He had a big role to play. But at the end of the day, what this family member's job was, was to get your back, to have your back, to fall in line and let you know you're not alone in this. I'm going to cover the bases, so to speak. And in our stories, we've talked about Naomi and Ruth. What we discover is that, that Naomi, although she had some turmoil and chaos in her life. She was living in Moab some 10, 12 years. That the thing that got her through that was that she kept God in the middle of her life. And church, we can learn from that. When we've got chaos in our life, when things aren't going how we thought they might, when we lose our grip on some realities, the, the, the real thing is that we keep God in the middle and the forefront that he stays at the front end of our life. And Naomi did just that in her, in her life. Until finally, after 10, 12 years, she discovers that, that God has once again blessed Israel. There is a harvest uh, to be had. And so she begins her journey back to Bethlehem, back home. And Ruth is leaving behind her home, her people, her gods, and everything else that she remembers going with Naomi to a place that she's never been before. And they begin the journey together. And so our first text begins in chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, So the two of them, that's Ruth and Naomi, continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Naomi is experiencing a flood of memories. You can be there with her if you think about it in your mind. She's on her way back home with Ruth, her, her daughter-in-law, and as they top that hill, they can see the town laid out before them. They're on a road that they've traveled as a family before. They head down the mountain toward Bethlehem, and as they enter that city gate where all the elders would have camped out every single day to conduct legal matters and business people would have been transacting business in the city gate, they walk through that gate and everyone recognizes Naomi. She hasn't changed much. 
They're welcome her home, but as she journeys to her house with Ruth in tow, Naomi is looking at the park where she used to take the boys to play. She, she sees the synagogue where she and her family used to worship. In the distance, she sees the open market where daily she would go and buy the family meal to prepare it for the evening. There's a flood of memories coming into her mind. But you know the story. She's lost her husband and her two boys. And she comes back to Bethlehem sad. As a matter of fact, Naomi, translated in Hebrew, means pleasantness. But on entering the town, she tells her lady friend, she says, call me Mara, which translated means bitter. She's, she's sad. She's letting her hometown know, I'm not coming back the same way that I left. I left full and I'm coming back empty. And you and I have had those moments before in life, haven't we? Moments where we, we were struggling through a marriage, which eventually broke apart. We wish that hadn't happened, but yet it did. We've, we've lost family members along the way, close family members to death or close friends. We, we lost that relationship that we thought would forever be together, and yet now we find ourselves in separate ways. We have adult children who are make, making decisions maybe in life that are not to your liking. You lost that job, that career that you thought this is going to be it forever. You, like Naomi, have those sad, difficult moments in your life that you try to reconcile, that you try to put together. And no one would have ever thought bad of Naomi if she were bitter. They would understand the struggle, the stress of life that she has gone through. But Naomi's answer to life, life's tough situations is how, church, you leave a legacy in your own family. When you keep God in the middle, no matter what is going on in your life, when you make sure that Jesus Christ is glorified in those moments, that's how you leave a spiritual legacy in your family. Maybe you've never thought about it, but think about it for a moment, those great, great, great grandchildren that you will never meet. And when they hear your name in the family tree, what are they going to think about you? Great man of God, great woman of God, someone who always made sure that God was at the forefront of their life. But in tough situations, Naomi and Ruth have worked through, and you have experienced that too in family, disciplining those children as they grew up and got older, working through issues maybe with the spouse, tough, long weeks at work. You know, one thing that I appreciate about the book of Ruth is that it is real. I mean, it reminds us how we are living out life. They don't pull any punches in this particular story. And you, too, have had those moments of stress and adversity and doubt and loss, moments where you felt like your back was against the wall. And church, this morning, the story reveals to us an, an incredible truth, that no matter where you find yourself in life, if life is working out for you, if it's everything you thought it would be, or you find yourself in the other end where things are dark and dismal, no matter where you find yourself in life, God is always in control. He's always in control. Whether you see him in the picture or not, whether you feel like he is present or not, God is always there. And so this morning, I want to give you two or three ideas to take home with you, just, just some things to to consider in your own life as we look at the story of Naomi and Ruth because Naomi definitely pulled all three of these into her life. 
And the first one is this, that we're called to really stick together. As we live life out as the family of God, we're called as the family to stick together. We don't do this thing alone. I can't live life alone. I need you in my life. And I hope you feel the same way about those that are around you. We journey together. That's exactly what Naomi and Ruth did. I mean, imagine for a moment, you're in a distant land. You lose your only source of income. You lose your, your physical protection. You, you lose your spiritual soulmate. And Naomi endured that and worked through that. But the beauty of that story is that Ruth becomes a daughter. She becomes someone who is just not going to go away. Naomi, Naomi is one of those ladies who say, listen, my life is kind of over. I want you to go back to your people. You've got a chance for life. Don't stay with me. We read this two weeks ago, chapter 1 and verse 16. Ruth replied to her, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Man, we all need a relationship like that, don't we? Somebody that will stand with us and say, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what's happening. I don't care how many come against us. I don't care what they say. I'm not going anywhere. You've got me for life. We, we love to have a relationship like that. And Naomi is now introducing Ruth to her family, her town, her God. In the past decade, she's only heard about who God is, and now she's getting to experience that in community. I mean, the only way that you and I get through life's tough moments, grief in life, the potholes of life, is when we have someone that will stand with us and stick by us. In 1989, I went to basic training down in San Antonio, Texas, the Air Force. This is me when I was about 130 pounds, but you didn't mess with me back then. I'll probably, no, that's not true. That's why I have so many people around me, I was scared. Brian Clute, he was a squad leader like I was a squad leader. Brian is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, we lost touch with each other after basic for about 25 years or so, and we finally reconnected not long ago on Facebook. He is a real estate agent in Milwaukee, and he's just written his first book. He's a great guy, believer as well. But there were moments, because we were squad leaders, we stood out, we were in the spotlight quite a bit, and so we got chewed on quite a bit. We got yelled at quite a bit. And there were, there were evenings, not every evening, but some evenings where I would lie in bed crying because I was just devastated. He would lie in bed maybe crying because he was devastated. And whoever was having the rough night, the other one would be there on their knees at their bed, hand in hand, and we would pray together. Now that's the kind of friend that you need in life. Somebody that says and notices, man, I realize you're having a tough time. I'm going to be with you. And that's how Ruth and Naomi were. They stuck together. And my prayer is that we as a church would be like Naomi and Ruth. The church, honestly, we would drop the mask. That we would be real with one another. That we would say, look, I can't do this alone. And here's what I'm really struggling with. Would you stand with me? One of the things I love about this church family is that we are so welcoming. We are so willing to journey together no matter what's going on in life. And so, church, the call is that we would look at this story and realize we need each other in the journey, that we cannot do this thing alone. But Naomi also made a decision to stand with God. 
she, she made a decision to make sure that God was at the forefront of her life and that would never, ever change. I mean, at first glance in our story, it may appear that God actually abandoned Naomi with all the catastrophe that happened in her life. She moved to Moab and her life was turned upside down. But Naomi made a decision, even in heartache, to stay faithful to God and what he called her to live. She showed Ruth what faithfulness really does look like. And so Kale mentioned and introduced Boaz last week and gleaning in the field. And so uh, that first day she went out to find food. She found Boaz's field and she began gleaning in the corner. And from day one, Boaz sees this attractive young woman in the corner. And he says, who is that? I want to get to know her. Not in so many words, but that's where he was going. And so when she comes home, she tells Naomi about this kind man, and here's the food. Naomi realizes what's going on and says, hey, don't you know he's a family member? He's the, he's the kinsman redeemer for our family, and we're in a position where we need a kinsman redeemer. He's a kind man, he's a godly man, he's a good man. So what I want you to do is I want you to keep going for about two months. Go, back, go glean every day. Get his attention every day. Until finally, Ruth made it apparent that she wanted him to be the kinsman redeemer. Ruth kind of proposes marriage to him, if you will, but lets him ask the question. Hey, I'm a widow. I've got land. You're part of my family. You're the kinsman redeemer. How about you and I tying the knot? And Boaz says, that sounds like a good idea. I think we'll do that. And so our story continues in chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, then Boaz said to the elders and the crowd standing around, again, they're in the, the city gates where business is conducted. He says, we, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way, we can have a, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. We you are all witnesses today. And then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And they have no idea how true that last statement will be. May you be famous in all of Israel and Bethlehem. Boaz ends up marrying and redeeming Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. You see, the story reminds us that when we make a decision to stand with God, when he's in the middle of everything, great and unusual at times, things happen in your life. Unique things. This inheritance that would have passed out of the family now remains in the family. It would have been lost to someone else, but no, it stays with the family. But we need an heir. And so verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When they slept with, uh, he slept with her, and the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. All right. We now have a family redeemer. We've got a male son who's going to inherit the property and the family name, and the list goes on. Now, let me just say, as, as we've worked through this story, I've known this all along, but it's just a great reminder I want you to know that I am absolutely amazed at you women. What life throws at you, and yet you are able to stand heroically in the fire. 
I look at my mom's story and other of your stories that I've heard over the years, and I am amazed at how strong you are. And credit is to be given to you for that, that piece of life that you threw out for the rest of us to see. You embrace God no matter what life throws at you. And the way you respond to life's ups and downs, that's the way you build legacy within your family. That's the way you, you show what it looks like to be faithful and tenacious and on fire and full of love and compassion when you stand with God. And Naomi reminds us of what that looks like when you make a decision. I'm never going to give up. I'm always going to give God the credit. I'm always going to be on his team. And so that third part is really the idea that that we stay with God's plan in our own life, that we hang out and understand where God's leading us and how he's called us to live. And there are, there are times when you and I want to deviate from God's plan. Why? Because I think I know me better than God. I'm going to make a decision to do what I want to do when I want to do it, rather than sticking to the plan that God's got for me in my life. So incredibly important that we're called to trust him. And there are moments in your life where you think, does God even know I'm here? But you know what Jesus says in Luke chapter 18? He said, God's the kind of God that takes the impossible and makes it possible. In Christ Jesus, he makes everything possible. He makes all things new. And so we wrap our arms around that story, that idea in our own life. And it's a call for us to trust him in our life and to be patient with how our story is playing out. And so we look after the baby's born in verse 14. It says, Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who is now uh, provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Now understand these two verses, they're not talking about Boaz. They're talking about the baby. Notice the ladies called Naomi, Naomi, not Mara. Why? Because she's not bitter anymore. She's holding a grandchild in her hands. And we know how a baby changes everything, right? We've heard several of them this morning. It's a great sound. Love having babies around. That's the sound of life. That's the sound of movement forward. Babies change everything. Our story continues in verse 16. Naomi took the baby and cuddled her, him to her breast. and She cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. I'm not sure I would have picked that name, but that's the one they chose, Obed. <laughs> Boaz actually redeems both women and the family in this story. Now she sees God's work in her life because she's kept him in the middle. She's kept him at the forefront. She now sees his presence and the peace that he offers her in her life. You see, what Satan intended for evil, God worked out for good. And that's what he does in our life as well. Satan comes at us each and every day trying to pull us and tear us away from the relationship we have with God. And when you stand firm and lean into who God's called you to be, the only thing Satan has left to do is run because our God is an awesome God. He's a powerful God. And he stands with us in our turmoil when we remain faithful to him during our story. 
and you guys have experienced life issues along the way. You, you've experienced that dramatic loss of a family member or a close friend. You've, you've experienced that relationship that has been in turmoil. You've, you've lived through that, that rocky road marriage that you had. You've, you've endured long nights with your children, the loss of job, and the list goes on and on. But what we're reminded of in this story is that God is a God who will restore and give you the peace, the joy, the happiness, the love, the community that you and I long for so very much. It's God that will provide that for us. And church, let me just say in your own families, if you focus on the negative all the time, if that's all you see and that's all you talk about, your children, your spouse, your extended family, and your close friends will pick up on that. But the inverse is true as well. The minute your feet hit the floor in the morning and getting going for the day, when you make a decision to give that day to God, to keep him at the front, to stay a part of his plan, and to journey together with other people of like minds, then people will see how much faith you have in God, and you continue to build that legacy that you are calling others to leave as well. You see, what we, we discover along the way in this whole story of God, not just this story we're looking at in Ruth, but the whole story of God, is that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He has bought us back. We no longer have to worry about being in slavery or losing anything because he is our redeemer. He's bought us back. I mean, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 8? That we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God will work for the best outcome in your life, even in the midst of turmoil and loss. When things aren't turning out like you had hoped, God is still there and he's making things work. You see, being a believer doesn't shield us from the storms of life, but it does remind us who stands with us in the storms of life because those storms are coming. And you and I can rejoice that we have a Redeemer who shields us and stands with us in those moments. When you came in this morning, maybe you saw a card in your chair or close by. And in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I want to encourage you to have the courage to do something this morning. Because you, you're experiencing hurt in your life. You're experiencing maybe some emptiness, some loss in your life. And as we sing this song, I want you on that card to write down a word or a phrase or maybe someone's initials that you're struggling with. Somewhere that you've got a storm going on in your life that you'd love to have some resolution to. And as we sing this song, I want to encourage you just to write that out, fold it in half and bring it up and lay it at the foot of the cross as a, as a metaphor for you giving that to God. For saying, you know what, I'm done worrying about this. God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm turning my life over to you. Whatever's happening in my life, the chaos that exists, I can't live there anymore. And God, I'm going to give you my burden. I want to be a part of your story and how you've called me to live. I'm giving up on that. And so as we sing this song in a minute, I want to encourage you to do just that, to step out of your seat, to come to the cross and symbolically lay that at the foot of the cross so that you can release that symbolically to God. You see, here's the thing in, in verse 17. It says that they named the baby Obed, and Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse became the father of King David, who became the greatest king that Israel had ever known. And all that happened through this family in Bethlehem. But you and I also know another story. 
another story about a baby, a baby born in Bethlehem in this same lineage, this same family, and his name is Jesus the Christ. And he became our redeemer, our person who said, you know what, I will go to the cross for you. I will be resurrected from the grave for you because I want you to live with me forever. What a joy, church, to know that we've got a story, we've got a Savior who loves us so very much that he went the full measure for us so that we would not have to be sold into slavery. But yet we are called sons and daughters of the Most High God because of what Christ has done for us. Isn't that a great, church? To know that we serve that risen Savior. Why don't this morning you let him become your Redeemer? Why don't you surrender everything that you're dealing with in life and just give it to him? And so this morning as we sing this song, I'll invite the praise team to the stage at this time. As we sing, maybe you'll have the courage this morning to write something on the card and lay it at the foot of the cross. Our shepherds and their wives are going to be gathered around the wall of this room. And maybe you just feel the need to have some prayer. You're, you've got a difficult moment, a decision that's on the horizon. And so I want to ask you to go to one of our shepherds and let them pray for you and over you. Let them lay hands on you to remind you of the peace that you can have because you've asked Christ to come in to take that burden from you. Or maybe today's the day that you're baptized into Christ. Today's the day you say, I want his Holy Spirit within me. I want to give everything to Jesus Christ. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I want him to truly be my kinsman redeemer. And so today is that day for you. My prayer is that you will not leave this room without making sure that Jesus Christ is the number one person in your life. He's waiting on you. Won't you let him be your kinsman redeemer? Let's stand and sing.